Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Clear Thinking, brought to you by Better Broadhead. Our town, their future. Please welcome your host, Aaron Menzel. All right, so today I have with me Michelle Maloney, Dr. Michelle Maloney. Um, I want to thank you for being here today. It really is an honor um, to have you join us today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, so today I really wanted to focus on having a conversation around marijuana, THC, and CBD. Um, I was hoping first, though, that you could kind of give our audience a brief overview of your education and experience. Certainly. I have been treating substance use and mental health patients for close to 25 years. I started in the substance use industry um, first as a behavioral health tech. Okay. And I, you know, it's kind of interesting. I've probably had every position within <laughs> a facility, um, but I'm a licensed therapist and a certified addictions counselor as well as an administrator. Oh. Um, I have worked both in policy as well as treatment um, in many arenas from you know, working with the Medicaid population to celebrities. Wow. Um, and so, you know, I just really enjoy working with substance use patients. That's a really wide depth of experience. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So as an expert in the field of addiction, can you kind of explain in terms that everyone will understand the properties of marijuana that can lead to addiction issues later on in life? Well, certainly. I think, you know, before we get specifically into marijuana, I think it's important we understand kind of the scope of addiction within the United States. So as we look at it, currently more than 23 million Americans have a substance use disorder. Unfortunately, it certainly is, you know, and unfortunately, less than 10% of those individuals actually seek treatment. Wow. Um, And there's many reasons, you know, behind that. Um, you know, and subsequently, it costs almost $600 billion as a result of substance use disorder. And when I say that, that means in terms of healthcare issues, because it's not just substance use, but substance use can, you know, affect other general mental health conditions, other health conditions um, in, of it, in and of itself. Right. Um, so when we look at the full scope, you know, marijuana is one small piece of it. Right, right. So as we looked, you know, at marijuana, I think it's important for your listeners to understand that marijuana can lead to addiction. And and what do I mean by that? So there are signs and symptoms for every diagnosis, every medical diagnosis. Right. And substance use disorder is just like that. And we call it cannabis use disorder. Um, Four million people currently meet criteria for cannabis use disorder. So out of that 23 million, four million currently have cannabis use. Wow, that's um, And what are some of those signs and symptoms? Um, tolerance, meaning, you know, did I start smoking this much and now I'm smoking, a you know, more, a lot more right? to get the same effect? Um, have I been unable to stop or limit my use, saying, well, I'm only going to smoke this much, right? Um, and I can't stop that. Okay. Um, have I spent a lot of time, you know, thinking about marijuana? Have I spent a lot of time acquiring it 
or recovering from the effects of, of marijuana. You know, another, another um, symptom is giving up activities. Have I given up activities I used to enjoy right. in order to smoke marijuana? Um, cravings. Marijuana does produce cravings, which is another symptom. And there's also withdrawal. So, you know, if I go for a period of time without using marijuana, you know, withdrawal can last up to two weeks. And some of the withdrawal symptoms can be things like irritability, anxiety, depression, sleep difficulties, and just overall discomfort. Okay. Um, to the best of my knowledge, nobody has ever died right. from, right. you know, marijuana withdrawal. It's, right. you know, unlike alcohol, where you can die right. from withdrawal. It's very serious. Yeah. It is very serious. Um, you know, so marijuana is not like that. Um, you know, so as we look at who uses marijuana, you know, 15% of the U.S. population currently right. uses marijuana. Um, when we look at kind of the general demographics of who are more likely to use marijuana, it's typically uninsured. It's actually more in the metropolitan areas than the rural communities. Okay. Um, and it's typically the, the poor individuals. Um, and now, you know, 11 states currently have legalized recreational marijuana, and 33 states have approved, you know, either medical marijuana right. or some form right. yeah. um, thereof. You know, and in those states, heavy marijuana users, which is defined by using mar- marijuana like 20 days a month. Okay. That's, that's usually our definition of heavy use. Um, in those states where we can track sort of that customer base, mm-hmm. and those heavy users consume 90% of what is being used wow. and represent only 30% of the customer base. So you have a small segment of the population using the majority right, that's a of the marijuana. Number. It is a very large number. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And so can you kind of explain a little further the difference between THC and CBD, which are two different parts of the marijuana plant, correct? That is correct, yes. So CBD is typically the extract from the plant. Um, It comes in many forms. It can be gels, creams, supplements, oils. Um, The belief really is that using CBD will not get you, it will not produce the high effect. Right, right. Um, whereas THC is really that psychoactive component um, that will basically right. get you high. You know, both can produce positive results on a urine drug screen. Now, that depends on how sensitive that urine drug screen is. Okay. So if you have a sensitive urine drug screen, CBD, because it does have a minimal amount of THC in it, will produce a positive effect. So, you know, listeners just need to be aware Right. That it has a minimal amount. Now, are most tests that sensitive? Probably not, but you never really... Right, you never you, know. You never know. Um, you know, neither are FDA regulated. Right, that's the thing. Without that regulation, there's no testing to see... That is how, correct. ...how much CBD and how much THC is in a product. Yes, now the FBA, FDA is certainly starting hearings and conversations regarding some of, you know, the regulation, should it be regulated, shouldn't be regulated, you know, and so we can only wait and see what will 
right? come and out of that. I'm sure that's a hard conversation to have when it's still Schedule 1. And I'm sure that yeah. it is, you know, because <laughs> even those states, you know, have legalized it within that state, at a national level, it still remains, right. Right. you know, as an illegal substance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think one of the other things we think of um, is that, you know, it's less harmful. Right. It's important for your listeners to know that less harmful does not necessarily mean completely safe. Right, or without harm completely. <laughs> or without harm completely, right. yes. Yeah. Because there are some counteractions between medications and marijuana, between CBD right. and medications, and even CBD and THC. So, you know, I've read some research recently where it's believed that CBD can actually counteract the THC. Really? Where Yes, it will impact the high, if you will, um, that THC will produce. Wow. It just seems like there's not enough research to be sure. I think... Either way. You know, it's one of those difficult questions to answer. There is a lot of research out there I think the problem comes in, there's so much at times that it's conflicting. Oh, okay. You can find one research that says X, you know, the next day you'll find a research that says Y. Right. You know, and, you know, as a researcher and someone who really wants what's best for their patients, it's important for me to, you know, how many people were involved with this in the study? Where was the study conducted? And who conducted it? Because right. many times you can have, you know, pharmaceutical pharmaceutical companies, you know, and that's part of the issue right now with the opioid epidemic. Right. The pharmaceutical companies sponsored a lot of the research on the initial oxycodone, um, you know, which is coming, you know, sort of back around to potentially bite them. Right, right. Um, and so you want to be careful of who's conducting the research. Yeah, really about um, that research. Yeah. And, you know, where is that research stemming from? You know, I think part of it also becomes, because it's not regulated, you know, we're looking at THC levels. Right. Um, not every plant right, is grown the, the same. same. Right. And therefore, not every plant is going to have the same amount of THC. Um, you know, I think that's an important thing for us to recognize is that you know, when I was younger, many, many moons ago, um, you know, THC was a small part. You know, you were looking at a 2 to 3% right. THC level. Right. Now you're looking at, and people can have, um, you know, when they're, when they're doing analysis, we've found some THC as much as 90%. Yeah, I've heard that too from law enforcement. Yes. How strong the current strains of marijuana are out there it's it's pretty out there I think yes I mean just those different levels of strain you know on one hand I find it amazing mm -hmm. that you know we've had all these scientific breakthroughs in agriculture and right. in growing and in cloning I mean really that's how we're able to do this right you know I'm hoping that you know as farm aid is coming to mm -hmm. Wisconsin this right. year. I'm hoping that we can take some of those advances and apply them to, let's say, the corn and right. the wheat food and, <laughs> and the food right. that yeah. that we really need to sustain. Right. 
um, you know, that's my certainly, you know, yeah. hope for that. Yeah, that would um, be great. Yeah. So do you think that um, there's any push around the medical community to... I guess you said that there's not really a lack of medical studies, but maybe um, I did hear at the Capitol um, that they want some more studies the medical community does on THC. Is that more of a um, studies that don't come from pharmaceutical companies but come from the medical community rather than the other way around? Yeah, and so don't don't misunderstand me. Some of the research is also being conducted by you know, advocates, right. um, whether it's for marijuana or against marijuana, you know, you've got research being conducted on both sides. But, you know, what I really look for is research that doesn't have an agenda. Right, no biases. No yeah. biases. And I think we do need more of that. Okay. You know, and I think one of the, the challenges, certainly, when we look at certainly the THC levels, we want to make sure that it's a replicated study. Right. Um, what I mean by that is when we look at clinical trials for other medications for other uses, we know exactly what's in those medications, what dose to prescribe, you know, how right. often to prescribe it, you know, with all these variables, that makes it certainly much more confounding. Right. Um, you know, but there are studies out there that have shown um, marijuana can be helpful in certain forms of epilepsy. Right. In fact, in June of 2018, uh, the FDA did approve its first um, CBD um, medication, yes, called um, Epidelex, in which it really is for a rare form of epilepsy. So we do have, you know, FDA approval for that. Right. Um, And so I think as that goes along, we'll see more there is um, some research that's been done regarding pain, um, and marijuana has been tested against opioids um, for pain management in certain cases. Um, you know, some of the studies show that it's pos- you know, has benefits for pain, whereas other studies are saying in the long term, it actually produces more pain, where it will help in the short term, okay. but not in the long term. Right. Um, again, you know, we're not sure of all the efficacies right. of these studies. Um, there was a 2014 study conducted where it showed that marijuana was helpful for the opioid crisis. I and heard in that fact, as well. yeah, in fact, some states, there's three states that are using marijuana to treat opioid use disorder. Flip side, there's a 2018 study that just recently came out that contradicts okay. the 2014 study. Which so again, comes back to your statement that you can find one study to contradict the others. So, yes. Yeah. And so I think, you know, right now, that's the challenge even to the medical community. Right. As to what is the most helpful. Right. Um, you know, I come back to... You know, marijuana, we know, does lead to addiction. You know, so if someone has a substance use disorder or they have a genetic predisposition to substance use disorder, you know, to me that's like a flashing red sign, you know, that says be wary, you know, warning. Um, You know, it also comes back to me to, you know, less harmful. 
right, does not necessarily mean safe, um, you know? Yeah, and I think it would be hard as a doctor, you're supposed to do no harm to patients. So like you said, with some of the substance use disorder, are you doing more harm than good? Yeah. Really difficult to walk. Um, now, the Wisconsin State Council on Alcohol and Other Drug Abuse um, in 2016 reported that um, when it comes to youth, um, the percentage of 12th graders using marijuana is 34.9%. Um, our statistics in Broadhead are almost exactly alike. Can you explain um, to the audience why youth use particularly is concerning? Certainly. So the first has to do with brain development. So, you know, as your brain develops, it develops from the back of your head to the front. And in the front of your brain, you have um, your executive functioning, right. which helps with decision making and impulse control. Right. So as you use not only marijuana, but other substances, mm -hmm. it impacts an adolescent's brain development. So when we start to think about adolescents in general tend to be impulsive. Right. And that's because that part of their brain hasn't completely formed yet. Right. So as you use substance, it slows down and changes and alters your brain development. So again, much more likely to be impulsive, much more likely to not make the best decisions. Right. Um, it also, THC, we know can impact memories. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, as, as you grow, you tend to lose neurons. Um, and so THC can age the brain in losing those neurons. So it ages the brain quicker than naturally. Yes. Okay. And we've seen that in animal studies. Interesting. Um, you know, so when we think about THC altering that hippocampus, mm -hmm. which is, you know, how we remember things and how we process information, the more THC we have in our brain, the more our memory will be impacted. Right. Um, you know, we were talking earlier about the research. I think that's mm -hmm. the other kind of thing. A lot of the research is done on animal studies. There has right. not been, you know, a vast amount on humans. And right. I know humans are different than animals. Right. But um, testing an illicit substance on humans is <laughs> goes back to the do no harm and exactly. doesn't happen. Right. Exactly. You know, the other thing I think with adolescents and why why it's a concern um, for all substances is, you know, adolescents who smoke marijuana are four to seven times more likely to develop a future substance use disorder. You know, we think of, you know, and as long as I've been in the fields, you know, we've heard of, you know, cigarette smoking and marijuana to be the gateway drug. Right, yeah, I've heard that a lot, that. Yep. You know, there is some science and some research to support that right um, you know and you know there's also some research that shows that in adolescents your um, adolescents are three times more likely to, be to develop psychosis okay and some type of psychotic disorder from smoking a lot of marijuana so I think you know the bottom line is you know the increase of the use the more risk you right. have in developing 
either a psychotic disorder or a substance use um, yeah, that's risky. disorder. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I read a, I read a study recently where it said that 1.5% of, you know, Americans have substance or marijuana disorder, cannabis use disorder. And 11% of psychotic patients who enter emergency room are a direct result of cannabis. Now, is that a coincidence? Is there a direct causal link? Right. No one really knows. Um, but it's just some interesting information it is, to definitely. consider. Yeah, definitely. Especially when a lot of information out there is that it is a very, you know, not harmful substance and the perception of the harm is really low. Um, I know our perception of the risk of use um, is relatively low and it keeps decreasing. Um, can you kind of, do you have any idea of why the shift of the perception of the risk has changed so much in the last few years? Well, I can only surmise, right. but some of my you know, assumptions are it's certainly become more culturally accepted. Right. You know, as I think about, you know, back to my younger days, um, you know, Woodstock. If you mm-hmm. remember kind of, you know, the pictures you see of Woodstock. Right. Like again, the uh, stereotypical hippies, right? From yes. the 70s. Yeah. Exactly. And when you think about that, you know, they're now baby boomers. Right. Um, you know, and certainly the biggest generation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that has a thread in our American culture. Um, you know, the marijuana conversation has certainly been part of even the national political debates for yes. for president. Mm-hmm. Um, you have some of the presidential candidates making, you know, comments about uh, marijuana and whether or whether or not it should be legalized. Right, right. Um, you know, there is, like you said, the perception that it's less harmful. If you're going to use a substance, you know, marijuana is probably better than than using opiates. Right, or even alcohol. Or even is alcohol. The, usually the argument as well. You know, and now we've also seen ads on TVs and billboards, um, whether it be, you know, legalizing marijuana. So, you know, having lived in Florida um, for part of... For part of my life, you know, we had, Florida had it on the uh, agenda to, you know, pass um, medical marijuana. It was on, on the ballot. And there were a lot of ads on TV about the benefits, right. you know, of marijuana, trying to get that out to the voters. Right. Um, then flip side, you had ads on TV saying it's not helpful, right. trying to get that out to the voters. Yeah. Um, but it was still an ad on TV. Yeah. And I think that's part of, again, the American fabric, if you look at so now we have ads on TV, we have ads on billboards for CBD. Mm-hmm. Um, recently went to a fair, and there were numerous CBD vendors. Right. Um, and I think that has just sort of perpetuated some of that perception right um you know i think as you also you know look at we hear you know um alcohol for example and you have duis and you know particularly um i think it was in milwaukee like just a couple of weeks ago 
where an individual who had numerous DUIs hit a police officer and unfortunately killed him. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's broadcast. Right, but they don't talk about the OWIs that are drug-related, which um, I collect place of last drink data for Rock County, and I would say probably half of those OWIs are drug-related. So I would take a push by media outlets and other organizations to get that information out there. Like, people are driving drugs or impaired. Yes. Yeah. You know, but like you said, I don't know that that necessarily, you know, gets out to the general public. No. Mm -hmm. I think partially, you know, with all the conflicting information about marijuana, you know, is it good, is it bad, and, you know, nobody knows what to believe, right? And so it sort of comes down to who has the loudest voice at times. Right. Um, you know, and to some degree, I think with the opioid crisis, the public has maybe had some of its fill. and And so potentially have become more apathetic. Mm-hmm. And again, look at it, well, if I have to choose one, right. what should I choose? Yeah. Um, you know, those are just, I think, some things that have now become part of our everyday living. Right, yeah. Um, that can lead into what we believe or what we perceive or, right. or what we hear. Almost, yeah. You know, as I talk with colleagues and friends, you know, we're so saturated with the news. Mm-hmm. Um that I've heard people joke that they take a detox oh, from the news. Yeah. Because, you know, they're just always hearing sort of that bad news mm-hmm. or the trauma or yeah. the latest mass right. shooting. Right. And so they tune everything. Yeah, that takes a toll out. on everyone's emotions, I think, to be connected constantly. It definitely. Yeah. How would you recommend, um, like, People who are trying to get messaging to the youth um, that marijuana isn't necessarily harmless, how would you recommend that coalitions or prevention agencies go about doing that? Well, I think there's a couple of things. First, I think it's important that people understand that marijuana can lead to addiction, Um, just like alcohol can lead to an addiction, just like cigarette smoking can lead to an addiction. You know, alcohol and cigarettes have been legal for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, we certainly see those individuals in treatment right every day or in our doctors offices, you know, and now we see ads for people to stop smoking mm-hmm. and the health um, risks of cigarette smoking. Right. So I think it's important that people understand that that marijuana can lead to an addiction similarly um, to that, that there are consequences um, if someone chooses to smoke marijuana. Those consequences can lead to mental health concerns or other medical concerns, just like alcohol and cigarettes. Um, You know, and I would say another message is less harmful does not necessarily mean safe. I know I've said that several times. but it's true, right. you know. Um, and I think, you know, kind of when we look at alcohol and cigarettes, it's important for us to understand what have we learned from that. You know, at one point we had prohibition back, <laughs> you know, the in the 30s. Yeah, yeah. The 20s, 30s. Um, and, you know, what we learned from that. 
Right. Certainly, you know, not having alcohol was not successful. No. Um, but how we handle it and, and how we handle it today, what can we learn from that? The same with cigarette smoking, which is now turned into vaping. Right, which is um, huge. Vaping is huge, yeah. but we don't know the long-term health consequences of even vaping, right. particularly, you know, there's some fruit flavors. How do those fruits interact with our lungs? Right. Um, you know, we know that cigarette smoking causes lung cancer. You know, that's big. Right. But most cigarette smokers don't die of lung cancer, it, but they do typically die of some health consequences related to it. Mm -hmm. You know, what will we be saying about marijuana, vaping 10, 20 years from now? Um, That's still left to be seen. Yeah. Um, You know, um, you know, and I think the other message really needs to be that there's a lot of conflicting information out there, you know, and who's funding those studies? Who's conducting those studies? Is there an agenda behind that study? And so I think, you know, your listeners and everyone needs to be educated about looking at those studies and, you know, trying to decipher. I mean, for myself, it's hard to decipher what studies are valid and not. Um, So it is a challenge. Yeah, and I would think it would be exceptionally hard for someone who doesn't have that research background yes. to understand which ones are um, without bias. Um, it's, a, it's a difficult road to travel, I think. It is a definitely a different yeah. road to travel, you know, and I think, you know, as we look at it and, you know, marijuana, I think, is such a heated debate and people yes. are on one side or another. Um, you know, when we look at alcohol, people aren't, you know, people make a decision whether or not they want to consume alcohol or they don't. Um, you know, alcohol has mental health concerns, right. medical concerns, and alcohol causes addiction or, right. or leads to addiction. The same holds true, but marijuana brings out strong emotions mm-hmm. yeah, um, in individuals. And I'm not sure exactly why that is. Um, You know, I know there's an economic impact behind marijuana. It is producing revenue. It is. For a lot of the states that have legalized it. Um, At the same time, kind of that other side of the coin, I've seen studies where some of those states have higher medical costs. Is that directly correlated or not? Again, hard to say. Right. Um, yeah, an increase in crime as well. I've seen yes. some studies on that, um, OWIs, and then other violent crimes as well. As well as um, motor vehicle accidents. Yes, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And increase in homelessness. There's just some consequences, I think, that weren't really considered um, at the time of legalization, or they didn't think this would actually occur. You know, I also read a study recently, I think it was, um, I think it came out like last week, where adolescent marijuana use is actually on the decline in the states where marijuana is legal. And when uh, the reporter who was writing about 
the story, dug into it further, they surmised that it's because adolescents cannot easily get the marijuana anymore mm. because the marijuana you know the dispensaries it's check your IDs yeah. yes and yeah. so it's not as easily Accessible. able to acquire and so access right um is limited and it costs more yeah um and so that may be a positive yeah that could be a positive um, behind but I think in general you know adolescents are making better decisions today I think so too um when you know we have found when adolescents have a substance use disorder it's more severe than what it was years ago however we're finding less adolescents um are in that realm interesting that's good yes i think also if adolescents realize that they're being targeted by companies they're more likely to rebel against that and you know they're not going to use it because they know they're just trying to trick them into using it. So I think yes. that's hopefully we can try to incorporate that into our messaging as well. Um, so what do you see? I, I know there's been a lot of talk at the at Wisconsin at the legislative level, level um, about legalization in some shape or form, um, medical or recreational. What do you see the future of that being? So... You know, the legislature has, has their job to do, and, and, and I think legalization of marijuana is, is a political decision, right, right. Um, you know, from a treatment perspective, which is where we're focused. Right. You know, we continually focus on the facts right. and the research and the evidence. And when individuals suffer from substance use disorder, you know, we want to be there to help them and treat them. And we're pa- passionate about ha- helping those individuals because we know that they're suffering. Right. You know, whether that be, you know, from substance use disorder only, whether that be from substance use disorder and mental health, you know, but we find that it impact, you know, it impacts their families, it impacts their communities. Right. Um, you know, so we're, we're here to help them and let the legislators do their own job (laughs) right (laughs) worry about the policy part of it right yes yeah well I really appreciate all your insight and um, your wealth of knowledge it was great to be able to sit with you today and talk about this like you said kind of hot topic (laughs) Um, thank you again I appreciate it well thank you I really enjoyed our conversation thank you for listening to another episode of clear thinking brought to you by better broadhead for information of upcoming events and meetings please visit our website at betterbroadhead.org and be sure to subscribe to our email list